Welcome to a special edition of DC Comics News Podcast Network. I am your host, Seth Singleton, and I am lucky enough to be sitting down with the creators of The Last Amazon. Who would that be? Well, I have both Jameson Stone and David Ferreira. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and say a quick hello. And then we have a lot of questions about a project I know you're going to want to hear more about. Jameson, let's start with you. How are you today, sir? Oh, I'm doing fabulous. I, I get to talk about sci-fi, post-apocalyptic stories. There's nothing better. Oh, yeah. And on a Thursday. Like, not even on a Thursday. that coming on a Thursday. Like, you got to love that kind of thing. Uh, if you could give us just a, a little bit of background. You know, I mentioned the last Amazon. Is this uh, your first project? Just a, a little bit so of quick intro. My first graphic novel, uh, second published work, uh, my first was Rune of the Apprentice, an epic fantasy sci-fi novel uh, that came out in 2016. Um, but yeah, this is my first graphic novel, and we were super excited to do it uh, with my co-creator and artist, uh, David. Which is a perfect setup to introduce Mr. David Ferrer. David, how are you today, sir? Uh, doing really well. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us from uh, a beautiful location. I won't share your location yet but i will let you as you choose to disclose it uh as far as uh yourself just a quick uh brief uh recap was this your first project uh you know any as a yes as a, a like a published graphic novel yes was my first um and i was like before that i was kind of doing portfolio pieces and and working working kind of as a freelancer for many rappers in Paris <laughs> um, and um, once once uh, I met Jameson we, we, we started to work more towards uh, publishing the graphic novel for sure yeah awesome now the best part about this conversation is that you're not just going to listen to me asking questions I'm joined by the always amazing Miss Kendra Hale Kendra how are you I am absolutely fabulous this morning. I have my coffee. I got to reread this absolutely astounding, groundbreaking, unique book last night. I'm ready for this. This is an amazing experience. Good morning, Thursday. I like it. (laughs) Well, let's hear it for that good morning, Thursday. In fact, Kendra, I'm going to let you go ahead and kick us off with uh, the first round of questions this time. So... What's your uh, what's your first question for the group for Jameson for David however you want to do it? Well, I mean honestly, let's let's just kick it off with one for both of you. Um, I mean, let's start out with the basics. What is the last Amazon? Absolutely. So set in the year 2050, after a worldwide nuclear holocaust in 2025, two factions uh, in Hawaii and Denver uh, come together over uh, to fight and battle over the few remaining habitable zones um, in our kind of war-torn, uh, war-torn world. A desperate scientist uh, based out of Hawaii that have rebranded themselves the Azurus Islands awakens a sentient technology and AI that can either plunge the entire planet into eternal darkness or tip the tides of, of battle um, between this Cold War and hopefully save everyone from World War IV. That is the last Amazon, in a nutshell, at least. That's a tiny little nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can go into so much more detail. Yeah, ask, ask, ask me anything you want to know, and I, I'd love to share, but I always try not to be too, too verbose. So, yeah, ask and you shall receive. Well, see, and I'm a spoiler-free reviewer, so I'm used to not asking super details. But we don't want to give away the plot or any of the, the big big devices that make this book. 
so amazing. We want people to go out and read it because it's absolutely worth it. Oh well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, David and I had we had such it was it was such a labor of love to be able to bring um, this photorealistic art style um, and and mix it in into the written word. Um, we decided to to try and, and and write this book from many different divergent points of view. Uh, so we have news articles. Um, blog posts, we have social media posts, um, hacked government files, um, you know, you name it. Um, you know, we have our, our version of kind of neo-anonymous giving um, kind of, you know, online rants. Um, and so to have all of these different perspectives come together trying to tell this meta story um, of what was happening currently in 2050, while also retrospectively trying to look back and piece together what caused the nuclear holocaust in 2025. Um, yeah, working with David was really amazing. Um, he was able to to bring his just supreme artistic skill um, together to not only have this um, just stunning uh, photorealistic style, but to be also able to master all of these different artistic perspectives. So blog posts, um, Instagram posts, all of these things kind of woven together. Um, yeah, what was it like for you, David, uh, to be able to actually, you know, have all of all of these different styles come together in one cohesive book? Uh, one, I think one of one of the thing, the main themes that comes back, and I start, I kind of start seeing our like current and future projects. It's really that we want to keep um, the reading fresh in a certain way. And I remember we were discussing this to do the different styles, um, not having the same um, kind of graphic, uh, the same graphic assets, let's say, in each uh, chapter and uh, how can a book look with multiple styles. Uh, for instance, I, the one that strikes me the most, it's the Denver section where we, we are kind of showing this revolutionary uh, style um, and we took reference from those old, um, old newspapers from the revolution. Uh, and that's, that's, that was a way of us like keeping every chapter uh, fresh and feel unique, uh, and it also helped for the story, the how the story could flow. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the one of the concepts that I'm super proud of with this book and with the work that we were able to 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 make with this. Yeah, it was it was so fun to be able to take kind of the Che Guevara, you know, kind of um, yeah, exactly. Viva la Revolution style, <laughs> and then then be able to update that for um, what what we were then calling the Denver Denizens. And so these this is kind of all of Colorado, which was one of the few places that were spared um, during the, the nuclear attack. Um, they banded together with the rest of the remaining, um, you know, population from the United States, and and really tried to kind of create a new post-apocalyptic society, not one based in chaos. Um, and and that group, the Denver Denizens, then were locked in this cold war with the Azores Islands, uh, the the Hawaiian Islands, um, and the remainder of the Pacific Fleet um, uh, from the you know the kind of defunct uh, United States government at that point. Um, and to have kind of this like neo like neo Tokyo meets um, I don't know sci-fi kind of Blade Runner within um, Hawaii with this very gritty um, like revolutionary um, almost like you know like socialism communism while still being grounded in American freedom for the Denver denizens um, and have those two styles like be t totally divergent and yet occupying the same book. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to work on.
Certainly sounds like it. I mean, the thing that really sticks with me is is the fact that when I first started looking through it, it, there was a lot for me to process. And I love some of the descriptions you've been providing, like the meta story and the photorealism. Uh, how did that what was the genesis of this project? Because it, I know it came from somewhere, but did it start with one? Did it start with the other? Did the two of you where did this all begin? <laughs> yeah, so that's a, it's, it's a great question. Um, I, I asked myself when I and when I'm able to lo- log on my computer. How did I get morning, here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did this all happen? Uh, mainly, that's when I work with David and I see his amazing art, and I just say, God, how how am I able to partner with this guy? I'm so lucky. Um, it actually started uh, Apotheosis Studios, which is our our, our indie studio. Um, God, this is probably five six maybe seven years ago now, um, we were looking for a lead artist. Um, and uh, David Granjo actually sent us a message around um, uh, the importance of not copying other people's work. Um, uh, do you remember this story, David? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. I'm sure David's face is getting a little red right now. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> listeners at home, you can't see it, but I know it's there even in France. Um, and um, David, David, um, David, David pressed upon us the importance of, of um, crediting our artists, and we had contracted with actually a, a very, I, I won't say his name, but um, a, a very, very well-known and popular um, artist out of China, amazing, amazing guy, um, and um, uh, we were using some of his artist placeholder art while we were looking for a, a, a full-time artist and a lead, uh, lead artist and art director. Um, and through the beauty of the internet, um, David and I started talking. And um, by the end of it, David asked for a job, and I said, "Well, all right, show me your portfolio, and we'll see what you know. We'll see what we're looking at." Um, and I saw some of the best art that I'd ever seen come out of a you know a, a relatively undiscovered artist. Um, and um, kind of the rest is history. Uh, we were able to take those art assets, and I already had a pre-existing story um, based in our kind of Rune Chronicles universe, which is uh, the flagship IP of Apotheosis Studio. Um, and we were able to, to work together to create this just really bizarre um, sci-fi book that is The Last Amazon. Um, no, one, no one else had really done anything quite like that. Um, one, because it's kind of insane and way too much work than it's worth. But um, I think it came out came out well. Yeah, I, I also remember that we, because of the style, we really wanted to avoid being a, a, a traditional comic book. Um, and... Um, bringing up the style with with all the how the format of the, uh, another author called Dan Lupici uh, and he has a book called Last Man Standing and it kind of it's kind of the same it it's like a um, a superhero that has a this journal with all his enemies and and allies and I was super impressed with that idea and I was like how can we push this concept forward um, and then when I had like I heard from him for a long time, and then when we when me and Jameson met, we were like thinking, okay, we don't want to make like the traditional route. How can we like make this uh, feel feel more unique? I was like, oh, there's this book, uh, <laughs> and uh, we kind of took from that. That was one of the inspirations that we had. Then that, at least that kickstarted the, the project, um, and then I think it was really something as a solo freelancer learning uh, teamwork and feedback and like how ideas evolve inside a team it was super super interesting and super important to now 
leveraging that experience in other products it's really valuable yeah yeah and now and now david is training up other artists inside of our studio so um yeah we were able to go just basically a, a for that particular project last amazon a two-person team into now we have um got about eight or nine people on our current book uh, called the red opera rpg uh, which is a uh, fifth edition um, rpg campaign and setting which uh, we're very excited about but um yeah it all all started with two two guys kind of trying to do something unique and different and yeah making making a crazy crazy book and yet at the same time it's a book that is i mean for all its craziness it's appropriate in that it's kind of talking about a crazy world um <laughs> this yeah. is this was a, a story that i found myself working so hard to track as i was following it along and going okay oh okay oh <laughs> I'm keeping up. Right. Do I need to go back and read some sections? Probably do. And for my benefit, as I as I discovered just all of these, you know, this this world that you're presented with, the viewpoint that you're given, which is a really interesting uh, presentation of dialogue and uh, a great way to kind of create an environment through this gradual world building process, which I loved. I'm going to continue on with that. But since I just asked the last question, Kendra, I'm turning it back over to you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, there is so much that goes into this and, and you guys have already started to brush the surface. I mean, you have all of these aspects. And I mean, honestly, it, it feels like as a reader, from that standpoint, you, you see gaming aspects, you see anime aspects, you see all of these lovely little I don't know if they were meant to be Easter eggs, but they sure feel like them. Oh, I, I, so I, I love Easter eggs so very much. They, that's what like gets me up in the morning. Um, <laughs> we've, we've hidden, we, we, so I, I'm a huge, we're both, Dave and I are both huge gamers. Um, so we've hidden um, video game references, um, actual computer code from mods from Skyrim. Like there, everything's in there. Um, we have uh, stuff for, for programmers. So if, you know, for computer science um, architects, uh, they will actually be able to go through, read our code. And, and there's hidden jokes that only a programmer would understand. Uh, we have other things that only physicists would understand. Um, a lot of like little puns, particularly when you have an AI. So one of our, our main characters, really our kind of player protagonist, um, uh, the character's name is Lex, and she's an artificial intelligence, and you're introduced to her really in the very first page of the book. Um, she doesn't speak uh, both to the reader or to the other characters in a standard way and has to kind of learn how to interact with her world. And you, the reader, you learn along with her. Um, it's a nice little storytelling device that a lot of, a lot of writers use for good reason, um, but we try to do it a little bit differently. Um, and we were able to hide so many fun things. Um, one of my favorites was definitely the uh, some of the Skyrim Skyrim quotes yeah. from some of my favorite mods. I think once we had the first, we were like, okay, let's let's do more of these. <laughs> and yeah. we had like a week dedicated to Easter eggs. Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah. They are they are gorgeous. I mean, and I love that it's so like you you guys said it in the special features in the book, and I want to go ahead and just let you know that you succeeded. Um, you said it in the special features that this wasn't something you wanted to be the normal book or a normal graphic novel you didn't want atypical and this is so the last amazon is so so far away from the typical it is a wonderful piece um you guys bring up that there's there's aspects for pretty much any any genre of reader you mean i mean you could step into this from any avenue as a new fan as a 
a fan of old graphic novels, new graphic novels, books in general, or even gaming and anime. And one of my favorite, and I have to know, so here's my question. Uh, during when you bring in the Reign of Salvation, which I'm not going to give away any of that, but when you bring that in, there's this part during the third week of fighting where Castle Rock is introduced. And I know that it doesn't play a huge part, but is there any bit of that that is an homage to Stephen King's Castle Rock? So I have a huge smile on my face right now. You can't see it. Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. I have a huge <laughs> smile on my face. And I'll, I'll, all I can say is thank you so much to the discerning reader that you are for being able to notice the things that we so lovingly planted inside this book. Thank you. That's what I do, but thank you. <laughs> no, I saw that and I was like, there's no way. But I was like, I, every bit of this as I was going through, I have like 16 pages of notes. I'm like, okay, that one caught me. That one, and I know Seth probably caught this one too. It was later in, in the, the book, but um, there was a line <laughs> on Danny, which we'll get to Danny Winner's. Uh, hey, Blue Page. And it was to uh, to a Wade Wilson. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the death pool. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that make a book so immersive, and it really is a pleasure. So thank you guys for including these little Easter eggs, because they are a joy when they pop. Oh, excellent. excellent. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. I mean, at the end of the day, when you have a graphic novel with a gun-toting, you know, cyborg superhero woman who, you know, decimates cities, you can't take yourselves too seriously. And so you got to have fun with it. Otherwise, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, what do we do with our lives? You know, we got to exactly. have fun. And and by kind of stepping into that, like, satirical role and having it be, like, like meta-modern, we were then able to actually hopefully point at some real real issues and real issues that you know depending on kind of where things go in our actual country now like we're, we're kind of facing and so we want to try to look at that from a lens of from an like artistic perspective and that some people don't have to read into it that deep too and they can even just treat it as an art book um, and as the writer like kind of breaks my heart a little bit but you know what like there are a lot of people that just want to see amazing art and we wanted to to, to showcase that as well and you know having you know, some of the pages are just, you know, like five pages in a row of David's just stellar, stellar, stellar full page art. Um, and that works and it works beautifully and it, and it draws people into this kind of, you know, gaming aspect where we have some like, you know, first person perspectives like a la Call of Duty and, and other FPS genres. Um, and then, you know, like beautiful, you know, beautiful um, portraits kind of in much more like anime, um, you know, photorealistic style. So, yeah, we wanted to make it approachable for everybody success a hundred percent the gamer in me the anime fan the reader loved every bit of it seth what about you awesome <laughs> well thank you kendra uh yeah i i love the easter eggs i mean i smiled and i think it was somewhere around like the last 40 pages with a uh uh impressive most impressive and I thought to myself, <laughs> oh, okay, so we're, we're, we're dropping a little Vader in here. Is this for the yeah. old guys? Okay, well, the old guys smile and wave and say thank you. Um, so, yes, the discerning reader in both of us was looking for and enjoying these things that we discovered. I mean, the, the fact that you took four major, uh, well, 
at least four major corporations and turn their name into something that sounds like Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I knew there were times you guys were totally playing with this. And I was like, oh, okay. so we're telling a post-apocalypse story, but apocalyptic story. But at the same time, we're doing it with our tongue in our cheek and we're not guaranteeing we're removing it at any moment whatsoever. Um, (laughs) I want to talk about something kind of fun. I, I keep writing notes to myself and then it's some point the next note that i make becomes the uh, superseding one but as i was looking at the photorealistic style i just wanted to ask a fun question um about what your process was for creating these and if you were using any uh say behind the scenes figures at either apotheosis studios or elsewhere to create um some of the very real looking people in these images were these friends of family you know people who you worked with guys who you were just like him you come here we're gonna take your picture shit don't worry we got it covered it doesn't matter yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally so um so i'll 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 speak to some of the uh some of the amazing talent that we worked with and then um david will be able to talk about um how he actually pulled it off because that 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 is just that's just david granjo um but i i can i can talk about um some of the people that we worked with so we wanted to be able to try and like break that fourth wall in kind of, you know, fandom culture, uh, particularly around cosplay culture by casting, um, you know, relatively well-known um, Instagram models uh, who were also, um, you know, gamers and and cosplayers and, and huge into the Comic-Con scene, which we, we both are. Um, and have them really be part of the book. Um, so we had um, such luminaries as uh, Lauren Drain Kagan, um, Darth Lexi, uh, Woe Nerd Alert, um, and uh, numerous others um, actually starring as these characters. Um, and we were able to work with them. It was a real pleasure um, to, to actually have them help us in, in some regards um, shape their characters a little bit. Um, and we would take photos, um, either photos uh, that they had pre, you know, had taken previously or actually, you know, gave them direction of this is the pose that we need. This is the lighting that we need. Um, and then David was able to to really work his magic. Um, and I'll, I'll let you talk, David, talk about that because it's it's not something that I can do. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the it's it's the the, the, the process of um, I was also still learning that that process because there's an actual um, when I started to do the first images uh, before meeting meeting with with, with James and we, when, when before starting, um, I was really trying to uh, improve into that style, which is which is a style called photo bashing. So it's the process of um, sketching the fundamentals of art, like composition, the pose, the light, figuring all all of that, and then uh, going to our good friend Google and find the right images and kind of make a collage in top of that of that um, composition. And that was, this is a really simple of putting this process, um, but it comes with this challenge, with these challenges, um, but it was really fun doing, uh, going through the Instagram, like, okay, let me see from 10 years ago, a photo that she has that has the light that I want, the pose right. that I want, the expression that I want. Um, and it was it was challenging, but really an amazing learning process. Yeah. 
and, and to, to, to feel their enthusiasm for some of these Instagram models where, you know, really it, it's impossible for, for anyone um, unless you're, you know, a, a superstar, you know, movie actor or actress to, to be featured in a graphic novel like this. Um, it was it was so awesome to see like the, the joy that they had of being, you know, literally on the cover of this, you know, this this graphic novel, this hard hard hardbound you know art book, um, and it was it, it was a real pleasure yeah to work with them on this project. You gotta love when they bring that kind of enthusiasm, right? Like you you're <laughs> you're asking something, and they're like, oh yeah, and look what else I brought, and you're you're thinking to yourself, I I I'm immensely thankful right now. Like <laughs> exactly. the fact that any time is able to meet, match, or exceed your energy when you're approaching a project. Uh, that's just a gift that, you know, you can't always uh, depend on, but you can hope for when you get it, man. Um, I, I, I can only imagine I'm I'm going to pump the brakes on what I imagine would probably have been like three follow up questions because I'll just jot them down and say, Kendra, you're up next. All right. I mean, oh, I, I'm with you, <laughs> Seth. This is so hard to not like rocket fire questions. But, or have a ping pong brain because that's what mine is like ping pong ball blah, 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 or, it's right, it's fire, like, fire away we oh. love it we love it fire away well i mean i think that with this i mean you you, you explained a lot about the art, art styling and where a lot of the inspiration comes from and i mean it's it's a wonderful journey getting to watch the two main ones at least in the beginning um watching red and lex trying to restore her memory through seeing you know, all of this different information. And it's not only believable, but it's done so incredibly well. You get to see all aspects of it from little website blurbs about what the Amazons are to, you know, just like social media posts with little hints like Stan Lee and them as commenters. Yep, yep. (laughs) And I think that the biggest thing is, is because there's a mirror that at least for me was able to be seen. And I'm sure Seth and anyone who's read it has seen it as well. But some of these comments, I mean, they they do mirror some of the arguments that we see today that are going on. Were there any any inspirations that you pulled from, from right now that went into this book to kind of mirror what we're facing now? A hundred percent. And I, I had to, when I was, was drafting out a lot of those comments, I had to dial myself back and tone it down so much and edit uh, to kind of make sure that we weren't going too overboard with a lot of those comments um, and not make the book too like overtly political or too too like like too aggressive um, in in that stance and trying to have it be a bit of like a, a bit. Um, moderated insofar as not not pushing too hard um i you know as a writer i like to try and i don't know like let's change the world through the written word you know and constantly having to dial back and honestly david was really helpful for me in that way and be like yes this is a great article and now we need to rewrite it so it's not (laughs) so very aggressive um and and that's you know that's 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 teamwork and that's 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 what it's like to have a creative partner and a co-creator on a project where you have someone that can see you so clearly and and see see your gifts and see your challenges and so many times and I, i i think that that you guys as readers will hopefully appreciate this david's david would say wow this is such a great you know great section now let's make it half as long (laughs) (laughs) 
end, I would have to go in and I'd edit it down. And that editorial process is so important. So we then only have only have like the gold and the jewels left. And we were able to cut out all the silver, cut out all the bronze. And hopefully I got the lead out on my own. And then, you know, just, you know, through that through that uh, that teamwork and collaboration, we were able to then to come come with something that it was really refined and distilled down to the greatest, you know, greatest possibility of what it could be. I'm going to speak for myself, but I could have I could have had you guys go for another like 40 pages and I'd have been just fine. Excellent. Well, <laughs> sequels, we can sequels then. That's 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 where it'll come in is for a sequel. Yeah. And you never know. You could always have another bound, you know, section with the stuff that was like, hey, you want to see the unedited, the original? <laughs> we have one There's on our website. <laughs> We do. We we actually so part of our part of our marketing campaign involved a um, satirical and sadly satirical um, article of um, of uh, the the president tearing down the Statue of Liberty, and that was one of the articles that didn't actually make it into the book. We have images of it in the book, um, but we we actually have the, the that entire article is on our website. And I think if you just Google, um, I think if you Google just into Google, um, President tears, or, you know, remove Statue of Liberty, our website will pop up, and it's a it's it's a satirical article of of that. Um, and so we 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 tried to kind of have that again, like that meta modern breaking that fourth wall of having some of those news articles actually up, like in real life, and not just only in the book. That's awesome. I love the fact that, you know, even though some of these didn't make it into the final version of the book, they still found a place. And one of those was this great project that you're describing that was used for the website. Um, and like you said, just type into Google, President Tearing Down the Statue of Liberty, because I will be. Otherwise, I do it now and I don't want to disrupt our signal. But guarantee you me, um, that will be a, a search when I get off the, <laughs> the call today. <laughs> Um, and, and for and for folks folks who enjoy kind of some behind the scenes stuff, there's actually um, some some information around um, the uh, the precursors to what the Amazons became into. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact uh, name. It's it's discussed uh, in that article and in the book, um, but talking about um, them being deployed in greater detail. Um, so there's like actually more information about the book and and what the Amazons later were based off of, which is kind of cool too. So yeah. Yeah, we'll have to remind you and us at the end to have you give that website again, just because people's brains are probably still processing um, everything we're describing so far. And if they haven't had a chance to look at what we've seen, then they're really working hard. <laughs> we're totally. gonna keep on uh, <laughs> painting a bigger picture. Kendra, remind me, is it to you or back to me? I can't remember now. Who asked the last question? <laughs> I did. So it's your turn. I'm up. Okay. Um, in, in which case, I, I want to have some fun. Um, Jameson, you're, you're talking to two writers here who uh, love doing our thing on the side and love great characters. And I'd love the chance now to talk about the fact that we get an introduction to all of our characters and then realize there's a, a connection between all three of them. But we get this great introduction to two of them. And the format that we do it, you've already sort of introduced this idea of uh, how Lex and Red communicate using programming language and a combination of what we might, you know, recognize as written English mixed with the programming. But it's these two characters uh, who we start off with and together we learn about a third. And it's those characters I'd love to hear more about right now. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So um, as we mentioned um, er earlier, um, the book itself is set through all of these very divergent perspectives. And um, as we were going during our kind of early editorial phase, um, and looking at how we want to tell this story, and it was chaotic and just all over the place at first, which is very, you know, very common uh, when you're, you know, really storyboarding something out. And, and I think we go into this into the making of, which is uh, featured in the digital version, um, and, and David shares um, those the actual storyboards of of how the original story and as it uh, transitioned over time, um, we we decided that we needed to to be able to weave a thread through all of these, um, you know, kind of narrative uh, devices. And um, that common thread was this relationship and this dialogue uh, between uh, the Lex and Red character. Um, and so it was really, 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 I think, helpful both for us as we were creating the story and then eventually for the reader, for the finished product, to have these two characters and their relationship as kind of like a home base to be able to come back to. So even if you read this, like, um, you know, one of the articles is a, tr a Twitch stream um, by a Twitch streamer who's um, in the, you know, part of the Denver Denizens and then his stream gets hacked by the, you know, Azra's Islands um, <laughs> and then, you know, it's, you know, kind of chaos ensues. Like, how do you place that in the greater context of of, of the emotive relationship, which, you know, when, when you write a book is, is what we're all looking for is these, you know, human connections, even if one of them, even if they're non-human, they can be AI or whatever, um, to be able to come home to and to be able to then develop a relationship. And so um, it was super, super fascinating to be able to, to weave that thread throughout the entirety of the story and then eventually have a payoff of, of the reader being able to understand kind of what their backstories are too and how they're related and, and how they're then related to the greater world as well. Yeah, I, I remember like our first version was like just um just the articles splitted on each other and the, the, by reading the articles it was kind of a magazine per se a tech magazine and then we and then when the character Lex came up we we're like oh they can she can be the thread of to we, we to put all the articles together i remember that that's it and that's what i love about like and learn mostly about teamwork uh was really like one has an idea and then the other by builds on it and then the other builds on it and it goes and it goes. It was a really dynamic process. We didn't have like a blueprint for making this book. <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> but I, I love the, the concept of home base. Um, that takes me back to being just, you know, a little kid playing games. You always had a home base. You always had that, you know, kind of safe thing to return to and by using Rex and Led to create that, you really not only make uh, their relationship, but both of these characters a foundation for the entire book. And, and David, I loved what you called it a thread, this really important thread that was able to take this tech magazine idea and then weave it together, which, I mean, if you're using threads, it's better to get a weave than a tangle, right? A hundred percent, yeah. Exactly. And, it's, it's, and it's hard to weave and it's easy to tangle. Right. I think, I think yeah. the, the metaphor Jimson used at the time, I still remember, is like, uh, it was like, so what we have right now, it's like clothing hanging in the air. We need the thread to hold that cloth, <laughs> to hold <laughs> all, the, all, all of the clothes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, Lex, Lex is that, it's that thread. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm getting an image of every cartoon moment I have of someone creating clothes in a cartoon using the needle. And it was like the clothing would go up in the air and the pieces would just sort of come magically. And then the thread would just sort of and then it's like it falls to the ground perfectly made. That's a great writing was that easy. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, (laughs) no one knows how many edits it took to get to the version that we thankfully got a chance to see. Uh, and those storyboard sections you were talking about, that was such a treat for me. Like I realized, I was like, oh, it's over. There's more pages. There's, oh, this is nice. Zoom. Oh, and that's so much fun. I, I love that storyboard creation process. And the way you describe the collaboration so far, it sounds like this project was something that was really uh, a labor of love that was, you know, the two of you. Uh, working with each other, working with others, and just saying, okay, uh, what can we each do? How are we building this together? And in so many ways, you were able to provide those key or critical components to make this come together. Totally. In 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 in, in the words of Cartoon Network, I laughed, I cried, and I spilled apple juice on my carpet. We did it all. Uh- <laughs> yeah and the best thing is you never cry over spilled apple juice milk maybe but never over spilled apple <laughs> very true very true kendra you've got the next question thanks guys that was some fun answers i'm trying to figure out what, what i want to ask next because there's so much in my notes but i think i think the question that i i would want to know the answer to the most is you get to see this beautiful build-up Um, between Red and Lex as she's recalling her memories. And the really cool thing about this is it is exactly like a video game. You get to see at the bottom part of the screen where we have, well, not the screen, but of the book, forgive me. Online it was a screen because I was reading the digital version. But you get to see her, you know, her infection rate, her memory, what her percentage is. So it's almost exactly like you're leveling through a game as you get closer and closer to her remembering everything that has happened to her. And I guess the biggest question that I have is how did you know how to pace that to make it to where it was going to fit your needs for what information you wanted to get out to readers before everything hit? So David has a really amazing ability um, of being able to do storytelling visually. And so as, as a writer, I use words, right? And I can, I can offer suggestions and directions um, to David and the rest of the art team um, at Apotheosis Studios. Um, but the ability to, 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 to take an idea and to tell a story and to show evolution and to show progression and degradation in this case uh, for, for the AI um, through a visual setting um, is, is truly fantastic. Um, and, like, and David, I'll, I mean, Please, yeah, please speak to that. Uh, yeah, I think for the progression of that, I'm, I'm trying to, to recall that time. I think it was really when, once we had the story, the most of the um, uh, of the articles in place, at least ordered in the right way, because they, they were all over the place with the first version. Moving around. Um, oh, yeah, it was exactly. like a puzzle, and we were trying to make all the pieces fit. And, and once we had... Um, everything kind of organized we we and we had the the the, the, um, the memory bar we're like okay how much of this article she can 
recall like 10%, okay, here she will be at 15 or 25. Um, and then it, each one until the climax of the story, she has to reach 100%. Um, and we kind of pace it out thanks to the to the storyboard. Uh, that's why I think in the, the storyboard was such a key element for us to be able to um, put all the information because I think it was like we had an idea that would go through all of all the book that was constantly uh, like the memory or all the graph or all the graphics that we seen in Lex uh, UI. Uh, we were like, okay, for memory, um, we have to go through all the book to see how memory will be affected. For corruption, we go through all the book to see how corruption is affected. So each element that we were adding, we had to go through the full book each time to see how that element would be affected, including the Easter eggs and all of that, all of that stuff. <laughs> I'm loving these answers. I mean, it, you guys, like I said, and I, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but this book is so unique. I mean, thank you, truly, thank you. It, thank you. you know, thank you. We, we, we took a huge risk um, to, to, to make something like this. Um, it, it, again, uh, you know, Dan Levici's Last Man Standing is is the the closest thing um, that I think anyone has ever really really done that's quite like this. Um, and, and we drew huge inspiration. And for any of your listeners that haven't checked out his work, Last Man Standing. Um, is really fantastic and he's an amazing amazing artist and i would highly encourage people to take a look um, at his work um it was scary just to be very honest um for us to work on this as you know as indie you know an indie team um but seeing this vision and trying to say like you know what we we want to try something different and we want it to be unique and we know that we may not get it exactly right um, because it is so radically bizarre and different, um, but it's worth trying. And even if we don't nail like a bullseye, I think if we hit the target, it'll be a radically new and different target and worth the you know two and a half years, however long it took for us to make this book. So thank you. It's it's a long way of saying you're, yeah. I am so appreciative that you see it, <laughs> yeah, and see what we're trying to do. That's okay. We also know that you rely on David for some of the editing process too, and I'm not expecting him to just cut you off halfway through a great explanation like that. And so <laughs> no worries there. Um, I was curious too, uh, Kendra, am I cool to jump in? Did you get your question? Am I? No, you're good. You're good. Jump. Okay. Be froggy leap. <laughs> you know what I love about something you just said, Jameson, was the idea of risk. And um, even though you just sort of pared it down, I'm going to ask you to, to pick all that back up again, because I, I want to take that same idea about risk now and, and, and turn it to what would be another home base in regards to this project, which is Apotheosis Studios. If you can tell us a little bit about what that what that sort of stance meant to them and how they're able to support you in this process, who is Apotheosis Studios that's helping you take this risk and totally. support you during this project because much like Lex and Red, they're your home base, right? Totally, 100%. Um, so I, being the being the founder um, and creator of Apotheosis Studios, I started this um, in my early 20s, um, just wanting to be able to tell stories. Um, I said, hey, I, I want to 
basically create a refuge for other artists and writers to come together, um, work on amazing collaborative projects, um, and not be bound by um, some of the you know corporate machine around um, risk mitigation. Honestly, um, a lot of times um, you know larger studios um, they themselves have this this ideology that they're too big to fail, but only if they produce something that they know will sell really well. And I get it, and I love blockbuster movies, and I love huge big budget you know everything. Um, you know some of them I like more than others, but um, I'm a huge you know huge fan and supporter of kind of the mainstream you know, media machine. I also really love indie stuff. And so um, I think that that's where a lot of the innovation is coming from, particularly on the indie gaming side. Um, and so we, you know, as, as time went on and as I got older and, you know, dumped more of my own personal capital into it and all of my free time, um, was able to, to recruit just some uh, amazing talent, um, such as, uh, you know, David, uh, Dave Granjo, we have, uh, you know, Carlos, um, and we have a bunch of other writers now all, all working together. Um, and, um, now are ourselves actually being able to, to 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 swing at some of these you know larger higher higher budget higher caliber projects um, and to the point now where I've been doing this full time for about two and a half years David is full time uh, we have our uh, logistics uh, personnel and marketing uh, person Sarah Erfer she's full time um, and we have you know a bunch of freelance um, and 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 other writers and artists as well uh, Carlos is full time too now uh, Carlos Carlos Ansario. Um, and uh, his work was also featured in the last Amazon um, uh, to a very a much much more um, uh, minor degree. Uh, some of the really beautiful landscape shots uh, he 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 did, um, and in our upcoming work, um, the Red Opera RPG, um, he's featured pretty heavily. Um, uh, while David is still the lead artist and the art director for that project, uh, Carlos is doing really fantastic work. Um, so Apotheosis Studios really is is uh, you know a bunch of nerds um, you know who are very passionate coming together and 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 trying to you know, really kind of lead that next generation of content creation. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing video games, reading comics, reading fantasy novels and science fiction novels. And that was my refuge for my, you know, troubled childhood. And I wanted to try and offer that to other people um, to, to, to then also inspire the next generation of writers and storytellers and artists too. Um, and it's my hope that we can do so through really innovative um, storytelling. That's, that's the hope and the aim at least. And Jameson, if I can just take a moment of my own sort of uh, acknowledgement that sometimes I totally blow it. I've been going off of the uh, the Skype name, which was David Ferrer, and you correcting me with David Granjo just makes me feel a little bit better about trying to say <laughs> who it is I'm actually talking to and talking about. And uh, in that moment, I just had to sort of laugh and go, okay. So every once in a while, you're going to make a mistake. And when you get a chance to fix it, it's a great chance to sort of acknowledge who it is that you're actually talking to and talking about. And all of those people who were able to be a part of what you've been doing with Apotheosis Studio now, um, I, I have well, to say, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I can speak directly to that. So at the studio, when we make mistakes, it is like a badge of honor for us to own them. And I try to lead by example. Da David, David, David will tell you this. I try to lead by example and every single time um, just jump in and say, you know what, this one's on me. And then everybody gets to move on, you know, like, because it's all good. We all make mistakes every day. I mean, it's like, yeah. 
who cares? Yeah, it's yeah. it's a great moment too, though, just to realize like when you're in the moment of doing it, going, you know, I could I could wait until later when it's smoother, cooler, or I could just say, hey, I just realized I wasn't doing something I wanted to, and from here on out, I'm trying to get it more correctly. <laughs> there is nothing cooler than taking responsibility for yourself, my man. That is the coolest thing a person could do, in my opinion. <laughs> well, ha- happy to do so with you on this. Um, you guys are some of the coolest people I've ever had a chance to sit down and talk about writing with. Um, thank you for the great answer. Thank you for describing what I think is something a lot of people, I remember actually trying to start a business back in like 07 and I, I wanted it to be a, a haven for artists and creatives. And I clearly was not set up to go around it. And the environment I was trying to build from was not stable. But when I heard you describing your goal behind it, I was like, well, somebody else did it and other people do it. Whenever I hear about someone with that same dream who accomplishes it, I'm always just encouraged and heartened. It was like, okay, so maybe I wasn't one of the ones who was successful in that aspect. But at the time that I was doing it, I wasn't alone. There were other people doing it. And the success of your story is an encouragement and inspiration. It's just a reminder that you're not doing it alone, that there are others out there. And if you're an artist and creator, Apotheosis Studios is one of those places you can consider that is, you know, building with that same idea to be a refuge. And that's a really important message because I, too, I, I, I can't deny that I was raised on the mainstream, that I grew up on blockbusters, that I made a reference <laughs> earlier in this episode to uh, a great you know, line that was from a huge blockbuster. And yet I've also, uh, you know, I'm in wholehearted agreement with you about this idea that where the innovation seems to come from are the places where the independence is what allows that innovation to actually flourish and to show more of what's possible, more of what can actually be accomplished. And in doing so, create those changes in the mainstream that we learn to love so much. So uh, I'm really heartened by your story about Apotheosis Studios. I, I love the fact that you got a chance to share it with us right now. And I have a feeling I might have one or two more follow-up questions on it. But I also know that Kendra is here with me, and I'm sure she has more questions as well. Kendra? I do, but I was enjoying listening. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I mean, it, it's a very unique, very unique. That's my favorite word of the day. That's the drinking game today is how many times I can say unique. Um, (laughs) But it is. Both myself and Seth, and and honestly, any of the people who would have joined us, any of our colleagues, we all have this lovely, unique view of being able to read something and take it in and to see it for the deeper, deeper causes, because that's what we're, that's what we're paid to do, is to look into things a lot more deeper and look beneath the surface. And that's something that your book does. I mean, my favorite part so far has been the level of detail that you guys have to this. I mean, you can definitely tell the passion that every person who contributed had. And I think my question would be, you guys have two very unique things that go into the book. The, uh, the FSF 50 fighter jet. Oh, that's, that's Carlos. Mm. Yeah. That's a great Mm. one. Yeah. That was so cool to see the breakdown, not only on that one, but also, um, back to your guys' Amazons, where yep. you have the brain connection system, and you have this whole display of, of what the chip is, what it does, how all of the information is supposed to be relayed, not only to those who have purchased the protection, 
but also back to the main warehouse um, so that they have it on file and can go through it. Sort of and, like and, a safeguard. And, and blackmail you with it too. Right. <laughs> so I mean for yeah. those I guess for those two things specifically, I would love to hear more about them. Totally. Absolutely. So we wanted this to feel as real as physically possible. Um Again, you know, David and I, we we just are in love with huge, big AAA video game studios such as Naughty Dog, uh, such as Bethesda, such as Rockstar. Yes. They, they they just they create these worlds, and you are in them, and it's it, it makes you question reality. Are we in a simulation? Like, what's the difference? Um, and as a two-person team, you know, we couldn't do that. Uh, I hope someday for us to be able to 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 try and you know swim with those those larger fish. Um, but you know we did what we did what we could with what we had, um, and so the FFS fighter, the uh, forward swept wing, I think I'd have to to, to look at it again. Um, I, I I instructed Carlos. I said, design us a fighter that you we cannot make now. You know, make something that that is impossible to do now with current technology and make it look really, excuse my profanity, really effing cool. Um, and he came back with um, these amazing designs for this Ford wing fighter. And and um, if you were to fly one of these with you know steel and you know normal um, materials, it would rip apart. Like they actually, they've tried them. The military has a couple of them, and they ripped apart. Um, so he originally we didn't say make it forward swept this wing design. Um, that's what he came back with. With. And he was like, here it is. And I go, oh, gosh, darn. I now have to like write about this. I have to now become <laughs> an expert in this type of fighter jet. Um, and and so I then had to carve out basically you know, a whole week of just for that page um, learning about forward swept wing alignment and why is it not possible and how do you, how could we make it possible? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Um, one of the reasons um, the torque of, of when you fly uh, uh, and, and the military actually has very extensive um, information on this, uh, which I read uh, multiple times because it's very confusing. Um, the G-force is too much. People pass out. Um, and, you know, obviously a passed out fighter pilot is not a very good fighter pilot. Um, but we have robots flying these things. It's AI. And so we're able to mitigate that. They have new polymers and, um, you know, nanotech carbon fiber. So they can create these, um, you know, more sci-fi materials. Um, and then I had like probably four pages of notes on what I wanted to include. And David Granger says, this is amazing. And you now get to use a tenth of it. What's your <laughs> favorite? <laughs> and what you see is the 10th. The it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, yeah. So I remember uh, when we we went to that to that part in terms of the style. I like the comment of how if if it was Apple making these robots, how they do present them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that was kind of the thought behind like the really minimalistic thing, and also to make contrast with the other articles that were really populated with art and text. Like, how can we make this like? Apple-wise, like, minimalistic. <laughs> and and also, marketing, yeah. Because they're trying to sure, sell yeah. these things. They want you to buy them. Yeah, exactly. No, you guys succeeded. I mean, it's it was glorious enough that I it, it stuck with me. It was one of those things where when I was going through it, I was like, okay, everything from the articles to the websites to even the ads were captivating. I was just like, okay, wait a minute. Hold up. Did we just get an ad in, in, in a yep. book? <laughs> And the skip, you beautiful. can skip it if you want. Yeah, exactly. 
but I mean, it was so, it, that's one of the things that made this book so cool was it was so immersive and, and it was like slice of life. So back to, you know, I mean, it harkens to anime. I mean, you, you literally got these cool little, little things. I mean, watching as Lex has to go through and remember everything, you get to see kind of everything that you want your readers to know all at once. And it was, it was a beautiful thing to behold. And that's where I'm going to go ahead and pause. Cause I have like two others going through my head right now, but Seth, it is your turn. <laughs> Thank you for that handoff. Um, yeah. My only addition uh, about that ad was I immediately was taken back to my childhood and reminded of RoboCop when they would have the commercials that would pop on. And it was like the lady by the pool and she's putting on SPF 1000 because UV rays are so powerful now and you don't want your skin to melt off, but you still want to enjoy your time at the pool. And these ad breaks just took me back to that. Like, what do future ads look like? And exactly. what a great introduction to the world through its marketing. You know, these are supposed to be the things you're either desiring, wanting or need to know about. So how is it that you as the reader are being informed the same way as someone from that time would be, which was just a masterful touch? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to take a new question with the idea of something that you mentioned earlier, which is I always love that that great line. Uh, when they're talking with a famous director um, who I, I try not to start using a lot of names because I start flubbing things more than um, I want to. But if I if I remember the lines, then it usually is better for me. But they were talking about a series of movies he did. And for each one, he kept saying, oh, it's about communication. Yep, that <laughs> one's about communication, too. And that one's about communication, no matter <laughs> what the story is about. In each one, it's about communication, which is. I think a huge part of this book, you know, we talk about the relationship of Rex, uh, of Red and Lex, and um, we also have their dialogue. But in it, you'd mentioned something that was really important, which is that it's English language, it's programming. There's also some physics reference in there and the jokes and the the uh, the Easter eggs. But I was curious about where you went for the expertise. Are you a programmer or a physicist? Uh, physicist or either of you or who do you know who could help you inform that language because it was so integral to that communication you were developing yeah so that's a really great question so um i i i would call myself a very um very bad amateur astrophysicist which means i enjoyed i enjoy reading books and probably only understand i don't know 20 percent of what i'm reading if not less um but as far as uh, for programming, I am not a computer scientist at all. Um, I'm very fortunate to have a very wide network of uh, folks who are um, computer scientists um, and physicists and architects and all the rest. And as a writer, I constantly have to, you know, pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, like, um, can I take you out to lunch and just ask you questions about X, Y or Z? Um, and um, it's, you know, people enjoy having their expertise appreciated. Um, and so it, it just to be it's so, in, in, you know, for me, it's, it, I'm so grateful to be able to have uh, the opportunity to talk to people who have made it their life's work to become masters of these, you know, different sectors of information and being being able to find the, the interesting parts of those and put them into sci-fi settings. 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was really great. And, um, for me, like I would usually have a template for particularly some of the physics, you know, physics jokes of like, this is kind of what I want to do. Like, what do you think? <laughs> and, uh, they'd be like, yeah, that's a good one. Be like, Here, this is like, this is the formula you need to have. Um, like one of them I'll, I'll, I'll give away one Easter egg just for, just, um, just for fun. Oh, yeah. Um, is when, uh, either red or lex says um everything's relative or that's relative and so we then her response is the theory of relativity you know einstein's theory of relativity we threw it in there um and just to be able to kind of have this little thing where a you know physics major in college or you know professional working in the field would be like oh my god like that guy just like flex einstein like what (laughs) (laughs) that's really awesome I love I love the way that it was portrayed in here and, and who you were able to rely on for the uh, expertise and then building it in uh, as part of the story. Um, <laughs> that that sounds like it was a fun time to just sort of a, say to somebody, hey, so tell me what you're smart about and how I can use it in this story. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I can relate to the amateur uh, astrophysicist. I, I my one of my favorite things to do while either prepping, I can honestly say for the first like 15 minutes before I was getting ready for this call this morning while I was eating some oatmeal was watching the NASA channel and just going, oh, oh, that's cute. All right. You know, let's let's see whatever I can try and glean and then hopefully at some point absorb and turn around into a conversation later. Just feel like I've expanded my my base. But knowing you had all those experts to reach out to that, that must have been a, a huge benefit. Has that network increased since this project? I've, I've had a lot of people, um, you know, lucky enough for us, I think we, we, we did it pretty well. We, we, we've not gotten any like critiques, at least on any of that stuff. So that's great. Um, but we've, we've gotten, yeah, I was a little nervous <laughs> to be honest. Um, <clears throat> but we've had a lot of people uh, reach out and, and say like, hey, you know, we, we'd love to just, yeah, share share our expertise. Um, speaking to uh, what you're saying, though, about watching uh, the NASA channel, I, I want to give out a shout out to uh, Michio Kaku. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, absolutely amazing author. Um, I have, I think, almost all of his published works. Um, he has done some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff around kind of physics of the future and taking a look of like, how, how can we make like a laser gun work in real life? Like how, what about anti-gravity? Is that a thing? You know, how, how, how would we do that? Um, so Michio Kaku for folks who want to do, do some, um, not so heavy reading, sorry, bad gravity joke. Um, I would, (laughs) Definitely check them out. Michio Kaku. I I love that shout out. I will agree with it. Yeah. Uh, A master of explaining just how does it work? Um, You know, and and what do we need to keep in mind? (laughs) Like there's the thing we want and then there's how we get it. So thank you, man. That's a that's a great shout out. Kendra, uh, I snuck in a follow up question, but I'm bringing back around to you. That means I get two, right? Yeah, rock and roll. You can have as many as you want, Kendra. <laughs> See, Jameson's game. Like we're in. This. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys, you guys are talking about like Seth. You specifically are talking about watching NASA. I'm over here playing COD, so that's how I prepped for this. Hey, <laughs> wait, wait. Are you the one with the gaming sounds in the background? Because someone is trying to make this work too perfectly with that. Where I'm like, how is it we're talking about gaming stuff and there's gaming in the background? How who does that? That's brilliant. Oh, okay. See, but that's why I was uniquely ready to appreciate the fact that they brought in the Vector SMG yes. into the book. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is my gun. <laughs> yes. I was so excited. I was like, ah, oh, 
<laughs> of this all for weapons kids. to pick for the Amazons, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> David, David, tell us. Um, I, I, I have lots of thoughts on the Vector, and I love it. Tell, tell us some of your thoughts on the Vector. Why is the Vector a good gun for the Amazons? Uh, I think the researchers that at least I remember the most was because they are better for for the SWAT team using the city indoors. Um, I think that was the thought of for that gun. Uh, but I remember like let's uh, how we like how are we going to present this and like Call of Duty menus. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the beautiful things about the Vector, so we, we, we wanted to find a gun that would be as elegant and 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 like technologically savvy and 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 on on like technologically innovative as um, these Amazon you know these robotic soldiers. And so with the recoil mitigation of the Vector, there are not many not many weapons that use that. Um, and you know I'm not a huge like I, I don't I'm not a uh, proponent of violence and you know I consider myself a nonviolent guy. And yet, also, guns are awesome. I'm sorry, I have to say it. Um, and so we we wanted to find something that was, you know, super sexy, like a super sexy gun to be held by a super sexy soldier. Um, and we wanted it to be cutting edge, uh, which the Vector is. I think, I, I'm not 100% sure, I think that the Vector is designed by a Colorado-based um, gun manufacturer. I'd have to I'd have to double check that, um, but I'm pretty sure. And, and and we're based out of Colorado, so I enjoy kind of shout outs to you know local folks here. Um, but yeah, and and obviously you know for a fully you know like weaponized um, robot, like they would have additional armaments. But this is more of their kind of light light arm or light fire round um, like city clearing stuff. I have to also say that I'm not a violent person until it comes to rank. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's all, <laughs> everything's fair in love and war once ranked hits. Totally, yeah. And, and I, <laughs> as, as an avid video gamer myself, um, strongly do not believe that there's any correlation between uh, video game violence and real life violence. And I like to, I like to use myself as a great example of that. Um, Nonviolent person, but goddamn, do I like getting headshots in you know, <laughs> yes! any video game? <laughs> oh, that's dopamine. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that makes me so gleeful. All right, my next one would be at the very end of the book, we get a sneak peek of kind of what's to come next. And it's this beautiful shot of um, Shadow of the Moon. Oh. I would love to hear more. So please, please dish. So Shadow of the Moon is is really going to be our, our, our flagship work. Um, Again, currently we're, we're working on this book uh, called The Red Opera RPG. It launches September 1st on Kickstarter. Um, and so uh, our attention has been on that for probably the past several months. Um, we've been working five months full time uh, working on that. Um, but uh, before before we decided to take that project, uh, we had been working exclusively on Shadow of the Moon. And when this when uh, the Red Opera RPG is, is concluded, um, we will then return back to um, Shadow of the Moon full time. So we've actually created uh, for Shadow of the Moon an entire city, uh, which is fully 3D rendered. Um, 
setting it up to eventually turn it into a video game. Now, we don't have the funds and we don't have the, 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 the uh, team personnel yet to do a, a fully, you know, fully fleshed out video game. Um, however, we're designing Shadow of the Moon as a graphic novel first, much like the last Amazon, although the storytelling will be different. Uh, it won't be done in, in the form of uh, news articles and things like that because it's sent in, in much more of a, a fantasy sci-fi setting. Um, but the level of attention to detail uh, of the, the quality of art um, and writing as well um, is th that which you would find in a triple A you know, blockbuster video game. Um, so the story is set within the Rune Chronicles, which is um, in the same uh, kind of timeline and universe as my first novel called Rune of the Apprentice. Um, and Shadow of the Moon follows uh, this character and her name is Zara. Uh, she He's kind of your standard, um, at least on the surface, seems to be your kind of standard run-of-the-mill princess. Um, that story's been told, and so we use that as a little bit of a foil um, to then kind of tell this greater story around, um, uh, gosh, um, society, um, uh, you know, the machinations of war, um, uh, mental mental disorder, and, and, and her own descent into madness, trying to come to terms and deal with um, some very traumatic experiences uh, that she's had uh, surrounding around the kidnapping of her sister um, and um, her having to reclaim her own power through this process of going and, and, and getting her sister. Now, as an avid video game player, uh, this is something you'll appreciate. How this book and eventual video game is set up, every night she has these reoccurring dreams, and they're set in this location called Tetragar Tower. And Tetragar Tower is very far away in the world of Terra, this uh, this uh, sci-fi uh, place where the story is set. And she's having these reoccurring nightmares, really, of having to go and rescue her sister. Now, at first, she's this you know 17-year-old girl wearing a camisole, like that enters into this tower's gates. You know, she's just in her nightgown, really, she gets slaughtered instantly, horribly, br brutally slaughtered. Um, and she wakes up in her bed. Next night, exact same thing happens again. Well, eventually, she starts to learn how to fight. Um, and she gets indoctrinated into this um, kind of behind-the-scenes AI training platform uh, that's called the Shadow of the Moon. And it has to do with the, the greater story of this world in the Rune Chronicles. And they teach her how to become this very stealthy assassin. Um, and much like a video game where you, you, know, you live, you do your thing, and then you die, and then you try again, she, through subsequent deaths, and we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths, uh, hones her body um, kind of a la Matrix style into this killing machine to go and rescue her sister uh, who's being held captive at the top of this tower. Again, another another video game trope, um, but it's not as simple as, as, as one would be led to believe around that. This is not, you know, sorry, Mario, your princess is in another castle type situation. Um, it, the story has much more to do with her own psychological transformation dealing with her own trauma. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, um, but I can't even tell you how excited both myself as the lead writer and director, uh, David Granjo as art director, and um, you know Carlos and the rest of our team are about this project. Um, I think that we're really going to turn a lot of heads, and I think that people are going to really, really, really appreciate uh, what we've done here. We're taking a lot of risks on it too, uh, diving into um, you know some mental disorders and some psychological trauma, um, and as an indie studio, trying to do something really unique while also paying homage to the meta genre that that is video games and blending that first into a graphic novel um, and then bringing it to Kickstarter to hopefully make a, I, I, I can't say it'll be AAA just because those are, you know, they're like $100 million budgets, um, but 
through utilizing cutting edge technology, making what would be a AAA indie video game. We're very excited about it. And you've got me. So I'm going to have to start watching because that was not what I expected. And now I'm even more excited. <laughs> that We're is pumped. an excellent story. So she has to relive day in and day out the same dream. It's kind of like, um, what's that movie? Seth, maybe you know, Happy Death Day? Where they have to keep reliving it to figure out why they're dying. Yeah, Happy Death Day. It gives me, a, you know, I mean, I go back to Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Yep, Bill Murray. Uh, amazing yeah. movie. Amazing movie. Sorry, um, I'm more of the horror buff than the, the comedian, so. Hey, that's okay. Um, and actually, I never saw Happy Death Day. My wife, I haven't either. I got to check oh. it out. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I've, I've only heard good things like she really got a kick out of the concept and basically, yeah, she has to solve her own murder kind of a concept, I believe, or something like that. And um, then every time she dies, she wakes right back up in the same day. So it's, right. it's exactly like the premise of, of Groundhog's Day. Nice. Yeah. And for me, Groundhog's Day was just uh, that that was that's a pretty seminal work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they, they did something there and it's it's hard to match it all at some point you can do is just sort of reinterpret it with a new twist um, or, or, you know, lend some credence to like the idea that you're like, OK, this is my take on that concept. But but man, I, I, I challenge anyone to try and redo. <laughs> and, and, and I one one could never one could never go toe to toe with Bill Murray. Um, what what it just is impossible. A man is just I mean, he's a legend. It's a it's absolute legend um one of the things that we were really trying to tackle um, and are still in the process of tackling because this project is far from completed um with uh, shadow of the moon is balancing these reoccurring nightmares and that's more of the battle sequence of the game so you are able to um you know have your what in video game terms they call your core gameplay loop and that's the part of call of duty where you you know throw a grenade rush in shoot your smg get a kill and then regroup with your team that they call that your 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 um your gameplay loop your core gameplay loop um so for our game and again it'll first be visualized in a graphic novel um a la last amazon um you'll have that core gameplay loop but the vast majority of the storytelling and upgrading will happen in this the city that we've created that's called castle rahu and castle rahu is kind of her home base and much like we were talking about red and lex having this home base to refer back to is this thread to weave through the story um that's exactly what we're going to be doing with shadow of the moon and so imagine in groundhog day if Bill Murray was able to actually interact with other people while still being locked in this this cyclical pattern and if you I mean imagine imagine you let's say you wake up and every other morning you repeat the same time and you try to tell someone about it no one will believe you and so she constantly is questioning her own sanity if this is really happening um, and yet there are little hints peppered throughout her environment of Castle Rahu that signals to her that this is real and so it's it's really in a lot of ways a psychological thriller where she's trying to understand really just like what the heck is going on in my world right now. I'm Which is so a- excited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just sitting back here like, okay, can I play it? Like, <laughs> I'm I'm set. Like, let's go. Like, 
Well, if any if anybody wants to help us make it, we have a Patreon account and we gladly would accept any support, even a dollar. Um, dollar a month will help us out because um, we're, we're doing everything we can to make innovative art for people. Um, and again, whether it's through the written word, because uh, we have novels, uh, through uh, graphic novels, uh, you know, blending the written word and 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 visuals of, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, 3D art um, and then eventually into video games. We just want to make cool stuff and people to enjoy it. That's really it. Well, it sounds like a great mission statement. <laughs> we want to make cool stuff and we just want people to enjoy it. Um, I love that, man. I love the idea that you're you're trying to, you know, in, in some sense, like bootstrap each project by the success of the projects preceding it and how they can help support each other. Um, you know, exactly. the idea of, of the, the Shadow of the Moon as a graphic novel to then kind of help fund the game, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And by creating, no one would ever um, be able to create a graphic novel with those like fully fledged uh, 3D assets that, that David and Carlos are using um, just as a graphic novel. It would be way too work intensive and it wouldn't make sense on kind of a budgetary way. But because we can then use those same assets in a video game, we're able Able, the, our graphic novel, literally no one will ever have done anything like this before because it's too hard. The only the only way you'd ever be able to do it is if you were then going to make a video game out of it. But the only studios that are actually making video games like that are AAA or at least AAA indie studios. And our studio is, is small enough where we're in this very liminal stage where we can do enough of the video game now to, have, to create amazing art and, and our writers and myself we're good enough to write the story out and, and, and present it in a very compelling way where we can then hopefully use it as a proof of concept to say like, hey, check this out. If you like this, imagine like living it, imagine playing it for real. And if you like that, back it on Kickstarter, like believe in us, please. Like we've proven, we've proven to you guys through the last Amazon, we've proven to you guys through the Red Opera RPG, we've proven to you guys through Shadow of the Moon graphic novel. Now come out in droves and, you know, Throw some throw some cash at us so we can eat some food while we make this game for you. <laughs> Please just Let them keep have us more fed. than ramen. <laughs> exactly, ramen's good though. I do shin ramen is really the Korean version. I've ever had that is amazing. I'm gonna tell my wife now because she's a big ramen fan. Um, it's always spicy. something you've to been, consider. You've been, you've been warned. It's a little spicy. Shin, That's shin okay. Ramen. She's, She's a spicy freak, you know, no problem about that. In fact, I'm the the weakling when it comes to it. I'm always like, no, no, unless you want to see me turn into a human, just sweat ball. Like, please, just keep it away. Keep it away. Um, it's mildly spicy, Seth. You'd be okay, I promise. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'll think about it. How about that? I'll keep a cold glass of milk candy. Kendra, I can't remember. Is it you or me? Did I, did I follow up with a question? Did I take a question? Did I give a question? Are you up next? Was it me? I think it's you. Okay. Um, so I want to come back around to Red Opera in a minute. But there's something that's been kind of picking at my brain. And it's like, look, man, don't let this go until you've had a chance. Because one of the things you guys were mentioning earlier, and this is probably 30 minutes ago or so, but it, it stuck with me, was about the, the, the way that you revealed the quality of uh, sort of the development that we get to see for Lex as we're progressing through. Her recovery of her memory is progressing along with us, which is a great measurement. But you also have a couple of other measurement tools in here. 
that sort of like develop through the process of the story. And one that I was really intrigued by because of how important it is for so many different elements of the story is the the redacted and then finally revealed Foxglove yes. document. Yes. I feel like this is a really foundational um, component because of how it's used first in the introduction in Denver, then later as other parts are revealed. And then when we finally get actually the full document. Now, we've, we've been putting the pieces together, but when you guys are creating this story, how did this piece find its way to fit? Where did it come into play? Because I, I thought it was really important when you guys were recognizing some of the other elements. It's like, if we introduce it here, we have to show its progression throughout the book. Tell me how that process was with this document. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, uh, a, a good friend of mine, um, uh, Rick Hines, uh, he's actually uh, the lead writer on the Red Opera, our upcoming book. Uh, he gave me a piece of advice um, from my first novel, Rooney the Apprentice. He said, if you do anything like this, always do it in the rule of three. Um, it was in reference in my first book, I had only two dream sequences. And he's like, do, if you're going to do something once or twice, at least do it three <laughs> the times. threes. That sounds yeah, like such an old classics thing, right? Like, I good know. Good things I know. come in threes. Bad things come in three. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, okay, we got to at least do three. Um, so thank you, Rick, Rick Hines. I, I listened to your feedback. I truly do. Um, <laughs> so um, David and I wanted to have a reveal at the end. Um, my, my greatest regret of The Last Amazon is I feel it's too short. Um, that's just, it just is what it is. We already yeah. added an additional, what, 36 pages, David, I think, yeah. Um, yeah. over the Kickstarter. So I think we originally only told people it would be, I don't know, whatever, whatever 36 pages minus the total was. Um, and we just swallowed the difference on that. Um, we, we budgeted it out um, on our Kickstarter to be, you know, whatever it was. And uh, we didn't we didn't include, you know, we didn't add any additional price on it um, when, when we put it out to market. Um, it, we fed, you know, we were, said we stand behind our word. We're going to give you guys the best product that we can. Uh, we feel that it needs to be longer. It still isn't long enough. It still begs for more, but we'll just do it in a sequel. Um, so my greatest regret is I wish that we could have added more, but we still like, added like, a whole third of the book. Um, regardless, we wanted to have this very powerful reveal. And so we then needed to have it have an evolution where we didn't give away too much. Um, and so I wrote out the final version and we went back and forth for like months on how much of this do we redact and how do we redact it? And a lot of times, and this is just the brilliance of David, I'd say, all right, man, like, here you go, make it look cool. <laughs> like, it's now your turn to like, make it, make it awesome, buddy. I look forward to talking more tomorrow once you have a draft. <laughs> I think I went for those pages. I really print out like five pages of those and I, I redact them by hand. And then I like a couple of ones, I I shred them and and paste them uh, with with um, with tape. Mm. Uh, and this is what you see in the book. There's there are actual photos of me taking <laughs> those those <laughs> those those versions of the redacted files. I, I it still looks have real them because it is. <laughs> I still have them in a in a in in a little folder, like all completely shredded. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Life is art. Art is life. <laughs> um, and here's the other thing that catches me, dear. I wanted to follow up with you about that. Was there ever a point where you were looking at it, where you almost wanted to turn around to Jameson and go, hey, man, could you write this with certain words in certain places? Because when you black certain things out, it looks cooler. I mean, was there ever a visual part where you're looking at what's been written and as you're blacking sections out, 
you know, was there ever uh, a visual take on that where you were looking at um, what you were blacking out and what visual image that created? I don't. It think. did. So I, I remember. Oh, it oh, did. It did. So I got there lucky. Were times. No, you were totally right. You were, it was hard to write it like that. So there were times where when you redact stuff, it's like your imagination can fill in the gaps. And so the, I remember going back and, and we looked at some of the redactions and we we're like, this is not super compelling. Like it doesn't like it's kind of right, like whatever. Right. Yeah. And so I would I remember one time being like, David, OK, like if you were to just be able to have black bars here for redacted like to space it out like where would we do it um and i remember you came back with a version and i was like that looks a lot better than what i did um and so i then and it was kind of then like david then turning to me be like all right jameson now you got to make it work like it looks cool now now you got to do your job um and I then it's not easy writing something knowing that certain parts are going to be removed, but then having it when you read the whole like totality of it, have it make sense still and like be this big payoff. Um, yeah, it, there, that was it was a big, a big, big piece of it. There was there was a lot there. Uh, another little Easter egg, um, the model that we used for the full um, like top secret U.S. government file, uh, you know, like um, reveal. David, who is that model for? Oh, it's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's my wife, yeah. I, I have a small anecdote for that. Uh, so yeah. there's this character, which is the, the detective. I think I have it here in the book. I don't like remember. Fosher, right? Fosher, yes, Fosher. yes. So you clearly see the picture of someone. And he's he was actually my um, my first client ever <laughs> since I, I, I finished college and then uh, university and then um, I came to Paris and I was working with these uh, DJs and trying to build my portfolio and he was my first he, he's a rapper now he's doing other stuff but at the time he was a rapper and I was making covers for him um, and then I was I, I, I think was I don't remember why we decided to have him, but I was like, oh, let's have, oh, we were looking for a professional photo. And he, he had this one. And I was like, hey, dude, can you give me a photo of you? Um, he was <laughs> like, okay, but I didn't tell him for what it was. He knew that I was doing a book, but he didn't saw anything. And I think it was last year, around September, almost a year ago, I showed him for, he came here at my house, and I showed him the first time the book and he he wasn't counting on it. And when he turned the page, he saw his face, <laughs> his picture it was like, oh, my God, I was not expecting this. <laughs> and, 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 and Fosher is actually he's our only male protagonist in the story because we have three female protagonists. And so Fosher is like really actually the only male protagonist. Um, and uh, in for our, our outlines for the sequel, at least, he plays a very major character. So, yeah, it was, it was his yeah. friend, I think. His friend yeah, I don't, yeah. Right. He, that guy is. So within storytelling, we use him as a prop to make Fosher look good. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's like oh, the side, sidekick. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that story. That's a okay. I feel like I've added a couple of follow-up questions. Kendra, I'm totally passing the mic back. You ask like five. I, I totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it. At this point, it's just it's becoming a conversation. So I'm I'm fine with letting the rigmarole of me or you go. 
But thank you. I, I would love to hear from both of you. What was your favorite part of the last Amazon? Wow, what a great question, David. You go well, first. Um, I really like the social media part because uh, I remember having that we had a lot of fun doing those. <laughs> yeah, those are awesome. I think the parts that I like the most are the parts related to the experience of making them, the Amazons and the Amazons. Uh, I also like the first person um, ones where Danish is like completely shredding those those Amazons. Uh, and the last part with that green look, remember Jameson when we saw oh, the, that one's so great, yeah, the with green the look, Darth, Darth Lexi, yeah, that's exactly. really good. Yeah. Well, I I'm gonna sound like super corny and cheesy. My favorite part of the last Amazon was working with David. And I know that sounds like sounds oh, you, silly. <laughs> I know it sounds bad, but like it is, it's really the truth. Um, I, I wrote my first book by myself. You know, a novelist is a lonely life. Um, and working with David on this project, um, honestly, like brings even like a little tear to my eye. We were two young men who were just crazy. We should not have done this. Um, you know, David's working another job. I'm working another job. And, um, you know, he's waking up super early to go do his job. I have to wake up super early to do my job. And um, I even had like, a, you know, for for some of it even had like a, you know, young baby at the time. And oh. Well, yeah, dude, right? Yeah, I remember, was, like, yeah. we were, like, on a a call with the webcam, and I saw his, like, he was kind of, like, like ba uh, balancing his body, like, was left and right. I thought, what are you doing, man? And he was with his right uh, right foot trying to make her baby sleep. Yeah, I was rocking, I was rocking, yeah. I was rocking my daughter in her, in her, in her little crib, like, her little, her little uh, car seat crib, so she'd go to sleep. Um and to have have someone that I could mind share with and as a writer and as a director to be like, this is my vision. This is what I see. How can you make this real and actually visualize it for real? Um, and to have the the trust there and, you know, there's ups and downs and there are times, you know, like, you know, we you know got mad at each other. But now after working together for years, um, you know, us working together uh, for the, the Red Opera, our, our current book, um, and for Shadow of the Moon, um, that's my favorite piece. And I, I, I love The Last Amazon, but whenever I think back on it, it's always our, you know, crazy phone calls and, um, yeah. you know, trying to make stuff work. Um, that is by far my favorite part of it. Yeah. And I don't want to make the cheese factor go up anymore, but I've got a huge, oh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> But I mean, we you're in good company. I mean, Seth, you and I can both speak to it. I mean, if you don't have a good relationship with your colleagues where it's it's much deeper than than, you know, being a colleague, it, it shows. I mean, it shows in the work you do and what you produce. You see the love and the passion. And that's definitely something that's very apparent in the projects I'm seeing. Without question, I can totally relate. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to work on the story side of a video game a few years back. And there were times when it worked, and it was only because people were all collaborating, everyone was contributing. And then there were other times where it was just like, we all need a break. Yeah. <laughs> I don't exactly. care if it's a week or two, but everyone needs to go and do some writing or take a vacation or go on a bender, whatever you got to do. And then all come back. And it, it was a it was a you know, it was a process like sometimes it was 
you know, you get a group call in a couple hours, you're just all writing at the same time. And other times where it was just like anything, not really. Okay. Okay. We're going to come back to this. Okay. Let's everybody have a plan. Let's have a goal (laughs) and then come back to it. And you know, it's, it's a relationship. Like sometimes you love that other person and sometimes you're like, why am I in this? What, you know, so I, that, that, that's just from my, you know, experiences in collaboration. It's, it's great. And other times it's you trying to get back to when it was great. <laughs> totally. I think, I think that that can come down to, we, we, in, I think in every project there is the, like, the best times and the worst times. But I think in, and I've been finding this like from the last Amazon, it's really in those, in those times that we learn the best experiences that we come out when we come out of those, of those, let's say, not less good experiences um, and then leverage those experience, learning from them and then applying them into the into the future projects. So now every time there's kind of like a less good experience, I'm like, okay, well, what can I learn from this? What, what can I improve here? Um, and it's really in a like humble, humbling, let's say, humbling, um, humbling theme. <laughs> Agreed. No, it's it's usually the point where you're like, okay, so what do we got to take away from this? You know, because we Mm -hmm. we clearly, you know, there's a problem that's here, but the solution we uncover, that's going to be the important part. And also seeing how it was we got here and if it's something we can either A, avoid or or B, if it's something that's part of the friction, that that's how you get a fire going. Like (laughs) if you're rubbing two sticks together, it's, it's not fun at first, but you keep at it. You know, that's how you get the spark. Um, Kendra, I know you have more questions. I don't want to go into mine. If you've got any burning. I think I have just for right here. And now I have one that's at the top of my tongue. (laughs) Go. So let's strip away the fact that there was the nuclear apocalypse and you guys are given the choice of either being, in the hydroponics world of the Denver Den- denizens or being in the tropics with, uh, with Hawaii's Azores islands, seeing as both of you know what lies underneath both of them, where would you go? Man, it's a hard question. I've had yeah. a lot of people ask. I've had, yeah, I've had a lot of people, a lot of people ask David, you, yeah, you go first, you go first. Um, it's funny because for me, it's the first time that someone asks me. <laughs> um, I think in Denver. I think in Denver. Because Azure, the Azores Islands are kind of like... We, we, one of the things was to create this contrast between the cities, uh, the, two, the, two, the two places. And I think right now we are kind of living in Azores, let's say in the society that we have where everything looks so beautiful. Look, we we have we we have like all of these beautiful things that you can consume, but underneath, like, well, you know what's happening, you know. <laughs> like phones are listening to us, you know. Um, and in in uh, in Denver they are kinda like trying to build like it's a restart button. It's like let's Let's try to restart this and see where it goes. Um, so yeah, I think Denver could be would be my choice. I, I totally agree with you, and I have one thing to add. So Rex Enton, who's a character in our book, 
um, who is, uh, he created the first hydroponics um, kind of uh, setup uh, within, uh, you know, the Denver Denizen uh, community. Um, he, the model that we use for that is my brother, Alex Benton. So Rex Enton, Alex Benton. Um, I'm going to give it a little spoiler. It's not that big of a one. Um, Rex Enton uh, becomes the, the president of Denver, of the Denver Denizen. So he gets elected uh, within our timeline for the sequel. Um, he, this is not, again, not a huge spoiler, but um, he becomes a president. And so I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I assume having your brother being president would be a good thing. <laughs> I'm not, like, I don't know if that's true. Um, my brother, I think he likes me. I mean, I put him in my book, so hopefully he likes me. But I figure, I figure that's got to do something for me, having him as the, the leader of the, you know, the, the, the Denver denizens. Um, yeah, I would go Denver. Um, I'd like to visit Azra's Island. It, we tried to, I don't know, we tried to really take a look at some like income inequality, um, you know, looking at, you know, just like greed, corporate greed. I mean, as you, you like the, you know, Lock Bay monster, like, like Loch Ness monster, as you said, of like, you know, what would happen if Monsanto, <laughs> you know, Nestle, um, Lockheed Martin and Bay Industries all got together and had this like grotesque Frankenstein of genetic engineering weapon, you know, weaponry, like what would happen? Probably not good things. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it clearly uh, invites the possibility, right? <laughs> like, oh, so where can this go wrong? Well, let's explore what exactly. all those might be. <laughs> Great question, Kendra. <laughs> hey, I'm just excited. I got a spoiler. I don't care how small it was. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Alex Benton outside of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I miss you, bro. Oh. <laughs> and this episode even has a little bro love. All right. Um, hey, you know, just for fun, because I said I wanted to come around back to it. Now that you've told us so much about the Amazon's last Amazon, I wanted to just, you know, kind of look at what you were saying was coming out in the not so distant future with Red Opera. What can you tell us about what's coming our way? The RPG and what its roots are. Are you both RPG players? Is this new territory for you? Talk about this project that we're learning more about. We are so, so incredibly thrilled about this. So I, I grew up on what's called theater of the mind um, uh, tabletop RPGs. And so this is um, things like Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Mage the Ascension, uh, White Wolf Games, um, think things like Shadowrun. Um, and I, I played a lot of D&D, too, but I always kept on coming back to this theater of the mind. Um, you know, I enjoy, you know, kind of, you know, really, you know, you know, min-maxing characters on character sheets. Um, but um, and, and I played, you know, Warhammer 40K back in the day. So obviously that's more of like a grid tile system. Um, but what we wanted to do uh, with the, the the lead writer, Rick Hines, uh, who's an amazing, amazing, amazing both author and also game master and storyteller, was create within uh, uh, fifth edition. Uh, so 5e um, and that's that's more of a, a Dungeons and Dragons term it's their open source uh, kind of rule book settings and rules um, so we don't have a, and many people will, will make um, uh, fifth edition um, campaign settings and um, 
campaign modules, um, uh, Wizards of the Coast were, were really very great about saying like, hey, you know what, we have this awesome thing called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the community is amazing. Um, use our fifth edition rules. We're not going to sue you if you use the rules. So thank you, Wizards. We appreciate that. Um, definitely don't want to get sued by you. Um, and so we, we set out to do something again, and this is kind of the Apotheosis Studios motto, to do something that, that no one has ever done before. And so um, we collaborated with a amazing, amazingly talented uh, heavy metal rock band called Diamorte. Drake Mephesta, their lead, um, founder and lead, is um, also a gamer, um, also a um, just very, very avid, um, you know, geek and, 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 and fan of kind of geeky things like us. And funny enough, how this book came about, um, Drake Mephesta, again, lead singer, you know, and, and lead of this heavy metal rock band, Diamorte, was at Rick Hines, a very good friend of mine, uh, at his house in, um, in Chicago and saw the last Amazon on Rick's, um, on his coffee table. And said, yeah, excuse my profanity. I don't know how like kid friendly uh, this is. I, I won't swear. I'll just um, says, what the f is this? Um, and Rick goes, this is like one of the coolest graphic novels I've ever seen, written by a good friend of mine. Um, take take a look. And Drake picked it up, and just fell in love with it. Um, and um, Rick then, and this was this was over probably about a year and a half ago, um, said, "Hey, we'd love to do a a a and d campaign module and setting, um, and we'd love for Apotheosis Studios to to take take the lead on it. Um, what would that entail?" And I was like, "Man, I don't even know. Um, we'd have to talk about it for months and months and months and months and months." Um, and we did, and we then um, all collaborated, and we've created uh, the first time ever uh, this partnership between a heavy metal rock band where these uh, Diamorte uses um, incredibly, incredibly elaborate stage props. Now with COVID, things have been kind of difficult for them, um, but stage props for their performance where it's really a rock opera and a la the Red Opera, the name of this, this campaign setting. And so the lore and the story around their characters in their, their rock opera, we then were able to take that with Rick Hines and create this entire D&D campaign module and setting. Um, my team, um, you know, David and Carlos and I, we then created an entire city, just like we did with um, Shadow of the Moon, where we can take... Um, these amazing Vista shots. Uh, the art in this book is no one has ever done anything like this before. There's a reason for it. It's just kind of absurd of, of how beautiful it is. Uh, people can check out right now. We have our Kickstarter trailers up. It's at uh, theredopera.com. Um, and you can take a look at um, the amazing, um, you know, amazing art that David and uh, the rest of the art artists have done. Um, and the storytelling uh, for an RPG setting is, is, is fantastic. So one of the things that we've been really, really Really trying to focus on is what is it like when people who grew up on this stuff on you know fandom starts making it um, everyone else really they didn't grow up on it so none of these other content creators whether it's comics video games or anything unless you're a millennial you didn't grow up on it and I like I'm sorry boomers like it just isn't how it works um, and so now that we have millennials actually creating stuff, it's it's radically different. Um, and in, in, in my mind, I think a huge step in the right direction. So um, it's probably a very long winded answer. I'm very passionate about this project. So I'm sorry <laughs> for monologuing. Um, but RedOpera.com, we launched September 1st. Um, and um, 
oh, last thing, and then I will shut my mouth, is, um, I'm so sorry, is, it's, 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 it's centered around warlocks. So the warlock class within D&D lore is, I think, the most interesting class. I play warlocks. I love warlocks. Um, they are super complicated. And if you're a warlock, um, you know, and, and a warlock lover, you know how awesome they are. But if you're not, and you're, let's say you play a fighter or a paladin or a druid or a ranger or whatever, um, they're always this class, which is kind of weird. And a lot of times people will feel a little sad because warlocks get to have all the fun with their DM where they're talking to their patron. Um, that's how warlocks get their power. They kind of like give a little shard of their soul in exchange for power where a wizard will go to some arcane academy and will learn you know fireball for example um a patron will be like here's some of my soul make me powerful um within our story rick hines has created it in such a way that anyone literally anyone can make a pact with the patron this has never been done before and this whole city that's called the Shadelands that we created for this project is a city ruled by warlocks and patrons never done before in DD lore um, there's never been a campaign module like this and the players actually have the ability to shape the future of the Shadelands. and so we have multiple endings within our books and your your party can as, as a gm they can run through this and they can decide how the story unfolds and the fate of the Shadelands. Um, again, never been done by Wizards of the Coast or anyone else. And so we are so excited for September 1st when we launch on Kickstarter and can share this awesome, you know, hopefully pillar of D&D, you know, lore with the world. That was pretty good. I think you probably could have gone a little more in depth. No, um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know. I talk too much. I'm so no, sorry. Man, you were great. And actually, it's the one thing my wife says about me all the time. Like, why is it whenever I hear you doing a podcast, I only hear you talking. What's going on <laughs> And I, I just, I'm uh, sorry. Oh, no, man. I'm just giving you a hard time. Actually, that was perfect. And and I, I love your approach to it also. Um, I, I love that you're focusing in on the warlock, uh, warlock uh, class. And also, I'm, I'm immediately drawn to how I've I've really been encouraged by the fact that I've seen so many different takes on some of these same ideas. I mean, you're going in the foot. You're reminding me of the things that I've seen, like Kieran Gillen do with Die. Um, and more recently, when we're talking about uh, Last Amazon, it reminds me of things I've seen in like Undiscovered Country from Scott Snyder or the more recent uh, Protector books. These are all taking looks at these ideas. And those are the only ways I've been able to view them currently. But with your projects, I now have a chance to take a lot of these same ideas I've enjoyed in comics and view them through the projects you've described, which is for me a pretty awesome experience and man i'm gonna make that personally my last question because we've we've had you on for over an hour and a half and i've i've just been loving everything you've been telling us um with that being my last one kendra i'm happy to offer it up to you if you have a final question or another question or more questions <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in the same boat i mean mine's more of a statement than anything i mean Please don't ever apologize for either of your passions. I mean, that's really why we wanted you guys on the show. This is not only a one-of-a-kind book, but you're basically just stealing into my wallet with the rest of these projects. Because as soon as you said Vampire of the Masquerade, I'm done. Excellent. If you like Vampire of the Masquerade, you're gonna, you're, you're, I, I like want to swear so badly, but I won't. You're going to love the, the heck out of this. <laughs> But, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you guys are, like you said it, you said it yourself and you said it beautifully. You're touching on things. You're reinventing the genres. And, I mean, you're you're succeeding. From from the standpoint that I've seen just with the last Amazon, it, you're succeeding in droves. 
Every, every bit, both of you. I mean, this was an astounding, Josh did not prepare us <laughs> properly for what this book was going to be. And <laughs> I'm so glad that he didn't because it is an experience unto itself. It is a one of a kind. And for our listeners, if you get the chance, go, go to the, to the Facebook page. I've shared it online. Go there, go look at it. Look at all of the amazing art. I plan on getting a signed copy of the hardback and I cannot wait to see not only shadow of the moon, but the red opera. I mean, I'm down you guys. I am absolutely <laughs> take my money. Take it all. Kendra, I'm right there Thank with you. you. <laughs> hey guys, keeping that in mind, um, you know, since this is pretty much the, uh, the, the wrap up here, where can everyone find you? How can they reach out to you guys, social media, any other ways you like to be contacted? Jameson, I'll, I'll start with you, uh, and then we'll move uh, to David to you next. But where can folks find you? What can they do to reach out and let you know what they think, sing your praises, tell you? Totally. We're on, we're on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, uh, at, at Apotheosis Studios. Uh, additionally, if people want to go directly to our content, um, they can go to thelastamazon.com. Um, and if they want uh, to go directly to uh, the Red Opera, just theredopera.com. And if they want to have a little sneak peek of Shadow of the Moon, shadowofthemoon.com. Um, those all will link back to our website, which is apotheosisstudios.com. Um, we have a, you know, again, our we, our core core team um, comprised of artists and and writers. They're all there, and so if you then want to, you know, learn more about Carlos, for example, and, and his work, uh, you can click on the link on on uh, the team bios page. Um, if you enjoy reading fantasy novels, you can learn about um, Rune of the Apprentice, which was my first book. Um, and if you want to learn more about David, you can click on his bio too. And yeah, we're, we just yeah. want to create cool stuff and, and share it with the world. Uh, David, how about you? Is there any other places where folks can find you? Any other ways of contact we need to let them know about? Oh, it's exactly the same for uh, to find me. It's in Apotheosis Studio. Um, and in the team bios, you'll find uh, the link for the art station. And that mostly through through what Jameson already said, um, through Apotheosis Studio, for sure. Perfect. Sounds like one direct line gets you everything you need. I like it. Um, Kendra, I'm going to go ahead and let people know where they can find you. You're going to let them know? Do it, Seth. You've heard hey, No, no. I'm going to let you let them know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. If the good people want to find me, they can find me on Facebook. I'm Kendra Hale. Um, I can be found on Twitter at DevourAllWords. And you can also find me on darknightnews.com doing news and reviews for all things Harley Quinn and DC related, as well as on these podcasts every week. Seth, where can the bad people find you? Well, <laughs> the most part, you're going to find me fumbling with my mute button, which has been a curse at least once or twice during this conversation, but really only made its like sort of evil presence felt that last moment there. Otherwise, find me at DC Comics News. Uh, find me online. I'm on Twitter as one more singleton. Um, as far as DC Comics News, please keep in mind you can find this podcast and all of our episodes uh, by making sure that you subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast platform is, whether it's uh, Google, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Breaker, you name it. Uh, when it comes to social media, we're at DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C-O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, you name it.
Yes, and with that keeping in mind, there's only one thing we like to ask you to do, and that is to always... Read. More. Comics. Awesome. This has been the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. I have been lucky enough to hang out with Jameson Stone, David Ferrer, the amazing Kendra Hale. Guys, if you haven't done it yet, look for The Last Amazon. We gave you all the best reasons why. All you got to do is find it. Thanks, guys. By the way, uh, thank you for doing this with us. Thank you for making this yes. such a great conversation. Thank you both. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank and you I so want to say to you guys, thank you so much um, for for seeing seeing what like the hard work that we poured into this it, it's music to our to our i was gonna say music to our ears it's music to our hearts man honestly exactly. so th- thank you guys hey man that's, thank you yeah that's the best thing about being on a podcast is getting a chance to have this conversation and share your guys's work it's it's our pleasure it's Absolutely. honestly our pleasure. <laughs> i can't think of thank a better you. note to end on thanks everybody stick around next time <laughs> bye